All right, Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to be in reading in verse 11. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. When we begin having children, we keep a pretty close eye on their growth, especially at first. When they're brand new and they first uh, are born, we're counting the toes and the fingers and making sure everything's, everything looks good. And the doctors are doing their check and the nurses are looking them over and weighing them and measuring them and seeing how, that they're off to a good start. And uh, Then we start to watch them from there and we're kind of watching how much they're growing and how much they're gaining weight. It seems like it happens really quickly. But you know, we always check those charts. What percentile are they on in their weight and their height and kind of making sure that they're growing? Are they rolling over at about the time they should be rolling over? Holding their head up when they should be able to do that? When it gets up toward a year and they're not walking yet, we sometimes we start to get a little bit stressed about that. Are they progressing as quickly as they should? We're kind of monitoring all those things as parents as they begin to grow. Because if we don't see them growing and don't see them progressing, then we start to get a little bit concerned for the health and well-being of our child. Well, you know what? The same thing can happen spiritually. I remember when I was in college and and there was another guy that was there preparing for ministry and his wife was having a real struggle with her faith. So for a while she met with a pastor and she told him her concerns and she told a lot of his friends her concerns and, and her struggles that she was having. And basically the conclusion of it was the thing that ended up helping her was that she had had a a rough relationship with a father that did not show much acceptance and was uh, some abusive. And so her idea of what her father had been kind of cast a shadow on that whole image idea of a father. And so for her to relate to God the Father, it was really a hindrance for her. Because there was that connection, just like she never felt like she pleased her earthly father she felt like i'm never measuring up i'm never pleasing and so you know what her struggle was she was constantly concerned for her salvation she was a a genuinely nice person and so it surprised some of us that she was having this struggle but she was having trouble moving on in her faith and growing to what she knew she could grow to because she was having this struggle of always she was always questioning her salvation am i really saved Is God really accepting of me? Is He really okay with me? And the the pastor helped her to recognize that that's what was causing her some struggles. And so she was finally able to recognize that she was accepted by God, she was loved by God, and she had experienced His mercy and His grace in in her life. And she was able to finally move on and grow and see what God had for her in her life of walking and in service to Him. Well, you know what? That's really kind of what's happening with the Hebrews. Their growth is being stunted. These were people that had accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's obvious from the rest of the book that they were Hebrews. And so their long-awaited Messiah was now finally their Messiah. But it surprised them in the fact that though they accepted their Messiah, that they had looked forward to for years, the rest of the Jewish people did not and actually turned and persecuted them. 
They cause them to maybe look back and think, you know what, did we make the right decision? Maybe we should go back to the temple, which was still there, and offer those sacrifices. Maybe we should just go back to the way things were with the Old Testament. Forget about Jesus. Move, move back to that. We'll, we'll stop the persecution. Maybe we'll get our property back. People will be let out of jail. We can get back to life as normal, calm, peaceful. Now, if they really have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, obviously they can't do that. But that's the struggle that they're having. They haven't grown in their faith to where they should be by this time. With our kids, we recognize at different points they should be at different levels of progression as they go along. At one point in their age, you clap for them as they can take two steps. You stop doing that pretty soon. At another point, you clap for them. That you, oh, you can tie your shoes. Pretty soon, you're not going to celebrate that anymore. Because they're growing. They're getting on to bigger and better things. Right now it's shoe tying. Someday it's a driver's license. They keep growing. They keep progressing. Well, that's the way we should be in our faith too. We should keep growing. We should keep progressing. John MacArthur said, if you don't progress, you regress. We need to keep growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Growing in our faith and more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. This is now the third warning passage. Remember, there's five of them through the book of Hebrews. In chapter 2, he said, don't neglect the salvation that is provided for you. Then to chapter 3 and on through chapter 4, he says, don't miss the rest that is provided for you in Jesus Christ. And now, at this point, he's going to rebuke them. He's going to say, look, you should have grown up to a certain point in your maturity. By now, you should be teachers. But instead, you're in need of a teacher. You should be farther along in your progress. Now, there is a little bit of question about this passage. Who is it referring to? Is it referring to Christians that need to grow? Or is it referring to people that have made a profession of faith, but they're not genuine in their belief? And there's, there may be cases to me made for both sides. John MacArthur thinks that this is talking to unsaved people. And he's saying the unsaved people are still clinging to the incomplete Old Covenant. And they need to put that aside and take the fulfillment that is found in Jesus Christ. Whereas the Old Covenant was a copy, a pattern, a picture of the reality, Jesus Christ is that reality. And so he holds a position that he says these are people that have they've made a profession of faith in Christ, but their faith is not genuine. They need to come to that point where they're genuinely trusting in Christ and no longer looking back. Well, I think it's a both and really. I don't think that it's an either or. I think that he's talking to both groups of people. As he's writing to these people, he's going to tell them pretty shortly in chapter 6, he's going to say, what I think about you is things that belong to salvation. In other words, he's saying, I think that you're genuine in your faith. What I've seen in your life, when he gets up to chapter 10, he shows about how they'd done very good at the beginning of their faith. They'd overcome some obstacles. They'd endured some persecution. And he said, look, you did well. You started out good. Now you need to continue that. You need to be patient. And then you'll receive the reward. And so he's confident that these people are genuine in their faith, but at the same time, because of their temptation to go back to the Old Covenant, he said, if you can do that, you'll prove me wrong. If you can go back to that, then obviously your faith in Christ is not genuine. And so I think that he's talking to both. He's talking to this group of people that he thinks are genuine in their faith, but he also recognizes that some of them may not be. And so it's dealing with both. If, if the people in the crowd at that point... If they're at the point where their faith is not genuine, they have made a profession, but maybe they're not committed, they're not sold out, 
then yes, they need to turn from the shadows of the Old Covenant and embrace the reality of the New Covenant, the New Promise in Jesus Christ. But it's very clear, also I believe within the passage, that he's saying many of you are genuinely born again, but you still have not progressed like you should have. Right now you should be teachers, but you're still in need that somebody comes along and teaches you the basics, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You dealt with salvation back here. Not that you ever leave salvation completely. We continue to learn things about it. But we should be learning deeper things about it. We should be deepening our understanding of what Jesus Christ did for us. Deepening our understanding of who He is and who God the Father is and and the Holy Spirit. and, And deepening our understanding of the Christian walk. And He's just telling these people, you're still right at that point of I trusted in Christ, but you really haven't grown since that. Well, I want to look at it from kind of the positive side, and we're going to take their negative aspects that were found within their lives, and we're going to say, well, what's the positive answer to that? In other words, the question that I want to answer as we look at this passage this morning is what are the marks of maturity? The first mark of maturity that we find is understanding. Because notice at the beginning of verse 11, it says, about this we have much to say. Now, what he's talking about is, is Melchizedek. He's going to tell us a bunch more stuff about him as we get up farther into the the book of Hebrews. He says we have a lot more to talk about this subject. He's going to compare the priesthood of Melchizedek to the priesthood of Jesus and explain to us so we can learn deeper about who Jesus is and what He's doing for us. But He says, I really want to go deeper with this right now. He says, but you know what the problem is? We can't go deeper. We're hindered in understanding this because they have a lack of understanding. And He tells them, you have grown dull in hearing. The same word that's translated dull, when you get up into chapter 6, it's translated sluggish. And that's kind of the idea of it, is you've got no push, you've got no, no drive, nothing propelling you to learn. And it's affected their understanding. He'll also go on and say, it's like food. You should be at this point where you're eating meat. What happens with little kids? They're born and at first all they do is live off the milk of their mom or formula. And so they're just drinking milk. And that's, a, that's their only diet for, for many months. Then finally they move from milk. They'll continue to drink milk, but they're going to start to add things to it. Smash up some vegetables and and things like that and feed them some of that stuff. It's going to be a while before they get their first taste of meat. Meat is for adults. It's adult food, baby food. And that's the point that he's making. He's saying, look, you people should be chewing on the meat by now. You should be deep enough in your understanding of Christ that you should have a much better understanding of who He is and what He's doing in your life, a much better understanding of God, but you don't. Why don't you? He says, because you've come dull in hearing. Now, I'd like to point out, this does not mean they're stupid. He's not calling them a bunch of dummies here. Because notice what he says, you have become dull in your hearing. In other words, they weren't dull in their hearing before. When they first embraced Christ, they were growing and they were learning and they were excited about it. They weren't sluggish. They weren't dull. He says you have become dull. That's a problem that is common throughout the New Testament. We see it being taught on. In fact, a couple different places. I think in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talks to the Pharisees and He tells them in Matthew chapter 13, verse 9, He gives them this warning, He who has ears, let him hear. Well, if you have ears, what else would you do with them but here that's their whole purpose other than to hang your glasses on i guess i have a purpose for them now that i need readers but that's that's the whole point of it but you know what has happened if you follow matthew the book of matthew you find the early life and ministry of jesus christ the first four chapters the next three chapters after that you find the teaching of jesus christ with the sermon on the mount 
The next few chapters after that, chapters 8 through 10, you see the miracles of Christ being portrayed by Matthew. And then all of a sudden, the disciples start to recognize there's a rift here. Jesus and the leaders are not going the same direction. The leaders confront Christ. They've heard His teaching. They've seen His miracles. And the leaders come to this conclusion. It is by the power of the devil that He's able to cast out the demons. It's by the power of the devil that He is doing these miracles. And so Jesus tells them right at that time, you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is not forgivable. I'm not going to get into that, but I don't think you can commit that today, okay? But But He says, you've committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's not forgivable. Chapter 13, Jesus begins to teach them. And after He gives them the first lesson, the disciples come up to Him and, he, and they say, wait, 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 what are you doing? You're teaching in parables. You never taught in parables before. Why are you teaching in parables? And Jesus says, because those people that have just committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, they have eyes, but they're not going to see. They have ears, but they're not going to hear. The parables are going to mask the truth to them. He said, but you, for you it has been given to see. You will see. You will hear. And so the purpose of the parable was twofold. The purpose of the parable was one, to reveal it to the people that had an ear to hear. But it was also to hide it from the people that were obstinate in their heart and that had transgressed with an unforgivable sin. And so as we look at that, then Jesus with His very first parable, this is what He teaches on. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3-9, through it says, And He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the disciples ask that question and He gives them the answer. It's about hearing. And then the disciples, He's going to tell them what He means by this story. And so we pick up a few verses later in verse 18. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. And yields in one case a hundred, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. You see, the whole point of that first parable that Jesus began to talk, teach them is be careful how you hear. Our gaining from being in the Word of God has much more to do with our approach than it does with our ability to learn things. It has more to do with the, the character of our heart. Is our heart softened and ready and receptive for the Word of God to sink into our heart and to grow? Or is our heart hardened by other things? Is our heart focused on the truth of God's Word? Or is our heart distracted by other things in this world? That's exactly what Jesus' point was in the, in the parable. Some people were going to have the Word of God come to them, but they're too distracted with worldly things. Other people are going to have the Word of God come to them, But because of persecution that would go along with that, they shy away from it. They draw back. 
that's what the Hebrews were dealing with. The Hebrews had the word of God preached to them, but they were tempted to draw back because of the persecution that was coming upon them from the other Jewish people that didn't believe. The author of Hebrews is writing to these people and he's saying, be careful how you hear. You know, we find the same thing in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation starts out with current events. Chapters 2 and 3, there's seven letters to seven churches that were in existence in Asia Minor there at that time. In every one of those letters to the seven churches, you find this same phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see, these people were having the Word of God, but they were not having the Word of God. It's kind of like their hearts was closing down to it. Um, let me explain it this way if I can. Have you ever had the experience where maybe you were in one environment and then you made a change to go to a different environment? I think of it like with work. There were times when I changed jobs. I noticed that once I got a job secured where I was going to go and then I gave these people notice and you're working out your two weeks notice, I noticed that that last two weeks was very hard to stay focused on the job that I was still in because my mind was where I'm going. My mind was on the next job. And so I always, I always made sure I worked hard. I always made sure that I did what I was paid to do here, that I'm putting in. But I noticed that my heart was really in the next step out. With a job, that's a, that's a natural thing. That's a fine thing. It's, it's natural for you to look forward. If you're moving on to someplace else, looking forward to that opportunity. Still do your job where you're at, but look forward to that opportunity. That's natural. But you know what? What if you apply that same situation to marriage? Your heart's kind of straying and going this direction. What happens? Your heart can't go two directions at once. And so what happens is your heart's going there even though your roots are still here. And this is tragic. Same thing happens in our relationship with God. When we get our heart set on going somewhere God does not want us to go, then what do we do? Your hearts can't go two places at once. Jesus said, nobody can serve two masters. You will hate the one, love the other, despise the one, cling to the other. Where's your heart going to cling? You see, I'm afraid that that's probably what was starting to happen with some of these Hebrews. They're starting to look at going back, turning their back on Jesus. And so their hearts are, life's going to go back to normal. Life will be more peaceful. Life, where they're looking at all the pluses of that. And I'm afraid that their heart is getting bent and going that direction. That's one of the things of being involved in the ministry. I have the opportunity to see things like this in people's lives at different times. And there's times where I find myself in the uncomfortable position of going stepping into somebody's life and saying, look, you're going the wrong direction. It's usually not you're going the wrong direction and I think I need to point you this out to you because you don't know you're going in the wrong direction. Usually it's, you know what, you're going in the wrong direction. I think you could show me the verses as well as I could show them to you. You know you're going in the wrong direction. But at that point, there's a moment where I wonder, which way is this going to go? Because you see, to get to that point, you have to become dull in your hearing. You have to have been blocking things out, the things that you know from the Word of God that are true, things that you know. Maybe good friends have come along beside you and said, you know what, you're going in a bad direction. I'm concerned for you. And you've been blocking those things out. You're shutting those things out because you're kind of determined to go this direction. Now, the encouraging thing is that I've seen it go both ways. I've seen sometimes where there's genuine repentance and what do I got to do to fix it and turn around and here we go. Now we're going the right way and that is a joyous moment. But I've seen other times where the heart has already been hardened. The, the hearing has gotten so dull that they continue to dull themselves to the Word of God and they follow their own, their own plan and to their own destruction. Sometimes, thankfully, it's only for a little while and they end up coming back around and repenting. But usually that comes with consequences. So by the time you come back around, you've mounted up a bunch of consequences that you have to deal with in your life. That's what happens. When we get going the wrong direction, we, we dull our hearing. 
Because we always want to justify ourselves, so we, we just kind of ignore those passages. We just kind of dull our hearing to the Word of God and to the friends that would encourage us along that way. And I think that may be where some of these Hebrews were at. And so this is an important moment for them. Or they can continue to dull their hearing to the Word of God and wander off the right path. Or are they going to repent and turn around? And like he's going to say next week in the beginning of chapter 6, let us leave those principles. Let us move on in our Christian faith. But you see, their understanding, they still had to be taking in milk. He couldn't give them meat yet. But he says, we're really hindered here in your growth because you have a lack of understanding. If we're going to have a mature relationship with Jesus Christ, If we are going to have a solid faith, it's going to be through understanding of God's Word. And to understand God's Word, we cannot dull our hearing to it. We have to take all the parts of it, not just the parts that we like. We've got to take all the parts of it, and we've got to do our best that we can to understand and be open to change in our life and be sincere in our obedience. Well, secondly, we also see that a mark of maturity is independence. I'm not going to talk a lot about this because we talked a lot about it last week, actually, with Mother's Day. And we talked about how a parent's job is to raise up their child, a child that starts out completely dependent on you for everything. And your goal is that eventually they're pretty much completely independent of you and on their own as a successful adult. Well, it's the same thing in our spirituality. The author of Hebrews writes to them and says, you know what, you ought to be, by this time, teacher. Not that he's saying that everybody has the gift of teaching, that everybody is going to end up being a teacher that stands up in front of a class, but he's saying, look, you should come up to the point where you could teach, where you have the knowledge, you have the understanding, but you still have need of somebody to come along and teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. The basic principles. You know what that word was used for in the Greek language? It was used to describe the letters of the alphabet. So in other words, it's the ABCs of the oracles of God. It was used in science to describe the fundamental physical elements. It was also used in math to talk about the basic principles of a proof. What he's saying here is you've got to go, we've got to go over the ABCs with you all over again. We should not be working on the ABCs anymore. In fact, in chapter 6, as we mentioned, he's going to say, let us leave that behind. Now, by in saying let us leave that behind, he doesn't mean that you're going to forget the ABCs. He just means we don't have to be working on them anymore. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, we put our faith and trust in Him. We embrace Him as our Savior. We're saved. He's at the right hand of God making intercession for you. You can move on and grow in other areas now. You can grow deeper in your understanding of Him because you don't have to keep going back and nailing down your salvation. It's already taken care of. But it's these basic principles. You should be a teacher. Instead, you need to be taught. What's the point that he's making in that? Yes, there's a progression of knowledge or understanding, but there's something else. There's a level of independence. Because a teacher can go to the information for themselves. A teacher can teach themselves. Not that it's not beneficial. I love listening to sermons. I like going on YouTube and listening to Ravi Zacharias and R.C. Sproul. I like listening to different preachers and teachers, and and I read their books, and I, I gain a lot from that. But you know what? I can also take the Word of God and I can open it and I can dig in and I can learn from it and I can grow in my understanding. I didn't start out that way. I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. My wife helped me learn the books of the Bible. She used to make fun of me because I called it Philemon instead of Philemon. If you get to the end, I was always kind of lazy. So two Peters, three Johns, Jude and Revelation. I had to learn the the books of the New Testament as as an adult. And you know why I did it? Because I didn't want to look like I didn't know where it was when the pastor said, turn your Bible to this. And so... I learned where they were to start finding my way through the Bible. 
when we were dating, her mom gave me my first Bible that I had that was a full Bible. And I would go home after we were dating at night and I would look up different words in the concordance in the back and it would tell me to go find it here and go find it there and just to learn what the Bible taught about different subjects and stuff because I was curious. When I got into college, I thought context is the key to everything. It's the, it's the context around words that give them their meaning. And so, you know what, I need to know the context of the Bible. I had classes that were teaching me those things. But at the same time, I thought, you know what, I'm going to start my own little notebook and I'm going to go through each book in the New Testament just looking for one thing. What's the major theme of the book and how do all the chapters fit together in that theme? Because I wanted when somebody says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 and quote that verse, I want to kind of know what the subject is around it. So I know what the context of what's going on so that I know that I have a good understanding. You see, I started out with baby steps, just learning what the books of the Bible were. From there, we started to dig deeper to find out what they were about and understanding what they're meaning. I was in a process where at first I, I, I desperately needed people to help me, to teach me. And it was a good thing to learn those books of the Bible. I don't care if you're 20 years old. I don't care if you're 70 years old. It's a good thing to learn the books of the Bible. It's a good thing to learn John 3.16. It's a good thing to learn, memorize a few verses. It's a good thing as you progress along. But the point is, we should be progressing. We've got to move forward in our faith. And as we do, what happens? You find yourself still appreciative of having teachers, but at the same time not completely dependent on them. I have some of my favorite authors because I find their teaching to be most consistent with the Word of God as I read their books and I study their writings. But you know what? There isn't one author that I take what they say as just a blank value. I say, why do they think that? Because the reason why they think that has to line up with Scripture. I'm benefiting from them, but at the same time, I'm independent of them. And then lastly, we see there's discernment. Because he makes this statement in verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So notice that the end game of this is discernment. We have the discernment to distinguish good from evil. Now, we don't start out with that discernment. You know, when I first became a Christian, there were things in my life that needed to go. There were were things that weren't in my life that should have been in my life. But I didn't know what they all were at first. But as I got into God's Word and started to learn, started to read, started to grow, then I learned about those things. You see, at the first, in the beginning of my Christian walk, you could describe me as being this way, unskilled. Now, what was going to change that? What was going to change that is, one, some time. Notice he says, by this time, you should be teachers. So it's going to require some time. But he says, I was unskilled. It's just kind of like anything else I do in my life. When I first went to work in construction, the guy asked me, he said, you do know how to use a saw, right? I said, yep. Well, I'd used a skill saw with my dad a few times when I was a kid, building a doghouse, a couple other things, but I was not very fluent with a skill saw. I, I went over and picked up the skill saw, and I used it. And I, I, I would say that I felt a little bit unskilled. I wasn't too fast at it. It didn't feel too smooth. But you know what? I watched those guys and the way that they handled a skill saw. So I learned some little things about the skill saw, and I watched people use it, and I used it myself. Lots of cuts later. Skill saw, that thing just about sticks out of my right hand most of the time, I think. It just, it's comfortable there. I grab that skill saw, it doesn't, it feels like I just, I'm at home when I pick up that skill saw and use it. What's the difference? Training, and then through constant practice. You know what? It's the same way with the Word of God. What do we need? At the first, when we get saved and we trust in Jesus Christ, we're unskilled. We don't know the way to glorify Christ the best in our life. We don't even know that that necessarily should be the number one goal in our life. What do we need? We need some training. 
And we need some constant practice. You see, that's what these people were, were struggling with. That, that's what these people were, were hindered by. And because of that, he says, they were lacking in their discernment. It's only as we get in the Word of God and we continually read the Word of God and learn from it and add to our body of understanding that we can discern between what is right and wrong. Just one, ar- one argument that would make the case for this. We started out as an amazing nation. And we started our schools for the express purpose of teaching people their Bibles. Our Ivy League schools all started with Christian mottos. In fact, still etched on the front gates of Yale. It's truth for Christ and His church. One of the first Bibles printed in the United States of America was printed by Congress to hand out to the citizens so that they would know the Bible and know how to live. And you know what we had as a nation? We had discernment. It was clear what was right and what was wrong. It's been 40, 50 years now since we kicked prayer out of the schools. We kicked the Bible out of the schools. And how are we on discernment? You don't even know whether you're a boy or a girl in our country anymore. You see, those two things go hand in hand. We lose our understanding of the Word of God. We lose our ability to be independent. We lose our discernment. Those three things are the marks of maturity.